What is something your present self could do today that your future self will thank you for? This is something that is a attribute of the successful. The successful seem to have a vision, an idea of where they're headed, and therefore they make decisions that support that goal. I think all of us want to live long and prosper, and of course, we want to be healthy as we do it. Today's interview focuses on the word of wisdom. This is a law of health that was revealed by the Lord to Joseph Smith for our physical and spiritual benefit. It is found in Doctrine and Covenants section 89, and it covers things that we shouldn't partake of, things that we should partake of only sparingly, and things that we should eat a lot of. And I imagine you can maybe make some guesses about what those things are. I invite you to listen carefully to maybe some adjustments, just how you could make a little change today that could support the longevity and the goals that you have to live long and prosper. Hey, hey, remarkable listener, you are tuning into the Thy Neighbor podcast, interviews with incredible people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am your host, Tracy Robbins King. In an effort to go deeper on topics that interest me, I am going to be running several mini-series. The first is today's episode on the topic of food and nutrition. More episodes are to come. Thank you again for being one of my valued listeners. If no one has told you today, I love you, I appreciate you, and I am cheering you on. Alicia Essig lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband and six children. She graduated with her master's degree from the George Washington University. She is a Pilates instructor and previously worked as a communications director on Capitol Hill and later worked on political campaigns. After her husband's stroke, Alicia became passionate about eating for longevity, and she went back to school to become a nutritionist and founded a company called PlantWise, where she helps individuals eat more plant-based foods so that they can enjoy healthier lives. Check out the show notes to access her website and services. She also recently published an article on LDS Living about her story. The link to the article is also in the show notes. I met Alicia when she and her husband served in my young single adult congregation in Arlington, Virginia. This woman is an absolute powerhouse with a why that compels her to do whatever it takes to help more people make changes to lengthen and enrich their lives. Alicia, What do you want myself and others to keep in mind while they listen to this conversation around food and longevity? I just want everyone to know that all food has value. If you were stuck on a desert island, you had absolutely nothing to survive, but the most processed, terrible food, (laughs) it would sustain you and it would give you life. All food has value and that we can all recognize that. And then secondly, your worth is not dependent on what you choose to eat. Like we all have worth. That is our birthright. And it does not depend on our food choices at all. And then tell me more about the details around your husband's stroke and how that changed your life and perceptions of health. As you mentioned, I live in Washington, D.C. We have lived here since we got married and we have raised six children. And so back in 2019, I was at home with, you know, four of my kids, <laughs> two were at school when I got the dreaded phone call that no one ever wants to receive. And I raced to the ER. Luckily, I had a friend watch my kids at home. And I'll never forget the moment when I walked into the ER and saw my 37-year-old husband slumped over in a wheelchair. And immediately, my heart knew that he was suffering a stroke. And he looked like he was 80 years old. He looked like he had aged 50 years. It was crazy. And so I ran over to him. And he was emotional. I was emotional. And we waited a long time for answers. And you know, finally we were seen by the doctor and they ran a ton of tests to see what was going on. They confirmed it was a stroke, but they weren't sure why. And most, most of the time people who are young, who have strokes, it's usually caused by like a hole in the heart. And he did not have that. He didn't have a genetic condition. He didn't have a heart arrhythmia. I mean, everything was no. So the only direction they gave us was a piece of paper that says, from now on, you need to follow a heart healthy diet. And that means no trans fat, no saturated fat, lower cholesterol foods, more fiber, and no alcohol. And at the time that was 
super confusing. I'm like, well, what do I eat? (laughs) You know, can you just like, tell me the foods? I have no idea what this means. And so I was determined though, because rewind back to 2012, my father actually passed away from his one and only heart attack. And he was only 55 years old. And at the time, I wish that we had gotten a warning. I wish that in some way he just gotten a warning heart attack, like all these other people get, and that he could have changed his diet or had surgery, whatever, but we weren't given that chance. And so when my husband was given a warning, I was willing to do anything, like whatever it took. And even though like he was not necessarily overweight and his cholesterol wasn't even that high, we had been following kind of like a a higher protein diet to lose the weight after I had just had twins and we both gained the twin weight. And so I, you know, we were doing our best, (laughs) like following the healthiest lifestyle that we, that we thought that we knew of. But I dived deep into the research to really understand, you know, trans fat, saturated fat, cholesterol. And I also really, really strongly felt prompted to just study the word of wisdom in my husband's patriarchal blessing. It says that he would be blessed with health as long as he followed the word of wisdom. And of course, like everyone else, we're really great at following the don'ts. (laughs) Um, But I don't know if I'd really taken the time to dive into the do's, you know, to dive into what that meant. And over time, after going to the temple and reading a ton of books, I read the book, How Not to Die, um, Eat to Live, you know, a lot of these other books, and also just researching, uh, looking at different studies and long-term studies. I wasn't interested about those studies that were only three months long or six months long. Even I wanted to find the survivors, you know, who are the people that are living the longest in the world? What are they eating? And I found that eating meat sparingly is really key, that it is key to eating, to, to living a heart healthy diet and the eating more plants you know, the herbs of the earth, those plants, those whole plant foods is also key. And that it's not only a heart healthy diet, but it's also an Alzheimer's healthy diet. It's an autoimmune healthy diet. It's a diabetes healthy diet. It's a cancer healthy diet. And that really we have so much information in the word of wisdom that can give us the strength that we need when we're just swimming in this sea of confusion. And so we really took our time to, okay, let's look at our diet and what we're eating and what can we do. And it was mostly like, let's just add in more plants and start making meat more of a side dish. And over time, as we did that, we saw that it just kind of naturally helped us to eat less meat as we focus on adding more in because like the doctor gave us that piece of paper. He wanted us to eat more fiber and fiber only comes from plant. He wanted us to eat less saturated fat and cheese is actually the number one source of saturated fat. Wow. <laughs> um, he wanted us, I know, right? Everyone hates to hear that. And even my husband's like, I could never give up cheese. I could give up meat, but I could never give up cheese. But we have because we don't focus on what we're giving up, but what we're adding in. And then trans fat and cholesterol, those are both found in animal products as well and only found in animal products to the extent that it can really harm the insides. <laughs> anyway, that's where I just found truth in the word of wisdom and found that it was easier to dive into the scriptures and it worked well with what the doctor suggested that we do. Do you still consume eggs and honey? I know those things are kind of associated with the vegan diet. So I'm, I'm just curious when you talk about plant-based whole foods, what does that mean in comparison to vegan? Whole foods, plant-based, and then that is kind of less processed foods where you, vegan is a lifestyle. You know, it is like, you're not buying clothes. You're not by, you know, it is a lifestyle. You're not eating honey, but a whole food plant-based you'll eat honey and different people approach it different ways. Like if you look at the Mediterranean diet, like that's considered a plant-based diet too, even though there's fish whole food plant-based in general, though, they take out all processed foods, a lot of oils. They're not consuming oils where vegan diet you would, and you can kind of be flexible. So we're more of the flexible route. 90% of the time I'm following a whole food plant-based diet, 90% of the time, but then about 10% of the time I don't. Let's talk about eggs. Eggs are actually fascinating because there's a lot of really good things about them, but then there is a risk associated with them. Even the American Heart Association has recognized that no more than six eggs a week is where you want to be. And so that's not a lot, really. You know, that's a tiny little egg, maybe once a day. 
But in general, if you look at the research on the microbiome, it's fascinating that those who consume meat, a lot of meat on a regular basis, when you eat eggs, your microbiome, your microbes in your gut produce what's called TMAO, which is an inflammatory compound, which increases your risk of stroke. So that's why I was really like, okay, we're not eating eggs, you know, for a while. It increases your risk of stroke. It increases your risk of cancer. It increases your risk of heart disease, um, prostate cancer specifically. However, if you are a vegetarian or if you rarely eat meat, you don't have the gut microbes in your gut that will produce TMAO when you eat eggs. So if you are, you know, more of a vegetarian, it's a little bit safer for you to consume eggs in the sense of it won't increase your risk of chronic disease like it does for the typical omnivore. And so, yeah, so we do eat eggs every once in a while. It has um, cloline in it, it has some omega-3s, and that can be beneficial to like my kids' diet. And so every once in a while we do have eggs. It's not an everyday thing. And again, I try to follow the American Heart Association recommendation. And when we do eat them, it's not a lot. It's just a once in a while treat. And sometimes there's just some recipes that work out better with them. And so I usually have a dozen eggs in my fridge for the most part. That's super interesting. Wow. I just learned a lot from that. So thank you so much for all of the research. Clearly you have really gotten down to what foods contain and their nutritional compounds so that you can make really informed decisions because you have that desire to learn everything you can, Mm -hmm. almost this insatiable, just what is it that I can learn? How did that knowledge change your perspective on what you were eating, like becoming knowledgeable about it. How did that change your behaviors? Right. So most of us, and I would say I was this way too, before my husband's stroke, but most of us have these glasses on, you know, everyone wears different glasses and how we see the world. And we look at food in the short term. So if I were wanting to lose weight, like a lot of times it's suggested to be eating, like whether it's a higher protein or maybe you look at like a egg and ham or sausage breakfast, if you're looking to lose weight, that's a great option because it'll keep your blood sugar levels down. It will keep you full and satisfied. And, you know, you may be snacking less, right? So that's awesome in the short term. However, I look at food in the long term and I recognize that the World Health Organization has classified ham as a group one carcinogen, mean it is known to cause cancer. And so after experiencing a significant health event, I recognize that when you're healthy, you have a million wishes. Like you could have any desire you want, (laughs) but when you're not, when you're going through something traumatic, like you have one wish and that is to get healthy. My husband, after a stroke, it affected his vision for five months. And so I had that time that it was like, we are doing whatever it takes in our power to eat foods that are going to help decrease inflammation in your body, to help keep your arteries more flexible, to help, you know, all these things so that he could hopefully get his vision back. And so I look at food now in the long-term perspective, what foods am I putting in my body now that will extend my lifespan? And one example of that is beans. <laughs> uh, you know, before I just thought, like, I liked the taste of beans. I didn't think much of beans, but if everyone ate a cup of beans a day, it could add four years to your life, four years to your life. So then once I learned that, I'm like, okay, we are swapping out beans for most of the meat in our recipes and just, you know, making that swap so that we can eat more beans. Um, Leafy greens are another thing. Like if we all consumed a serving and a half, it was like 1.3 servings of leafy greens every day, that could keep our brain 11 years younger. And it also opens up your arteries. So in the case with my husband, I really researched like what keeps those arteries open and flexible. And when you eat leafy greens, it produces what's called nitric oxide in your gut. And that nitric oxide tells your body, just open sesame. Let's open up all those arteries. And just as if you were driving on the freeway, stuck in traffic, and those are like your arteries, as soon as you consume greens, it's like another lane opens up and everything can flow more smoothly. And same thing with even citrus fruits. Citrus fruits keep your arteries flexible. And so, you know, if we can add in more citrus fruits and then berries have a ton of antioxidants. And again, anything with antioxidants are going to help those oxidized fats that will also affect stroke or anything else. And so to keep your brain healthy, you want to be consuming berries every day. And spices was another shock to me. Spices have the most antioxidants out of all foods. 
ounce per ounce. So if you were to take a meal of spaghetti with broccoli, and that seems like a very healthy meal, right? You got your vegetables and spaghetti, there's tomato sauce, like that seems like you're going to get a lot of antioxidants and you are. But if you were to just add one teaspoon of oregano to that same meal, you will double, more than double the amount of antioxidants in that meal. <laughs> or if you were to take, or this is another great example, if you were to take a sweet potato and if you add, again, a little bit of cloves and some cinnamon to a sweet potato, mix it all up, you will get more antioxidants in that tiny snack than most people get in like all week in all of their meals. And so just to add in more spices, to add in these foods that are, again, going to help keep the insides as good as possible. And I, I, I stopped caring as much about the outside of what my body looked like. And I started caring more about what the inside of our bodies look like. And the cool thing is that naturally my husband lost weight, 20 pounds without exercise, without counting calories, without thinking about it. And he's kept it off this whole time, which is a shock because in the past he used to yo-yo, you know, we'd have a baby gain weight at the same time and then lose the weight. And it was just up and down. And so it's amazing how, if we focus more on longevity, that the short-term gains do just happen to come into place. But if we just focus on short-term health, it does not necessarily mean that the long-term health will come into place. And we all assume that, that if we can just lose weight, then we'll be fine. But we all know a lot of people who are thin, who have a lot of health struggles, or I don't know about you, but I feel like everyone is getting cancer lately. And so, you know, what are we eating to try and prevent that? And how are we living now? You know, how are we looking towards the long-term health? Well, this is very exciting. It's very exciting to hear these things because it feels empowering that there's certain things you can do to just enhance the eating experience and make it a more bang for your buck based on what you, even the, the spices thing. That just blew my mind. Did not know that. That is <laughs> so incredible. And I feel like you focused your energy on what you can consume rather than what you can't consume. What do you feel like when you're trying to, maybe you're missing out on some kind of processed foods or those like instant gratification moments. So how can we kind of shift our mindset away from the addictive nature? Because those foods are designed to addict you. They're designed to get you to consume more and more of them. So easy. It's like, oh, like I just want to eat another one. Like I told you about my Willy Wallaby licorice and how I love it. But it's got red 40 and it's so addictive. Like even I want to be net like this stuff. I just want more. And it's right. designed to just like have me. So I guess how have you shifted that mindset of like, wow, this is addictive towards I'm eating foods that like don't addict me, but make right. me feel good. Right. I always tell people that you need the most willpower, the most strength when you're in the grocery store. Because <laughs> then after that, it's no big deal. And so really like arm yourself, go to the grocery store, ready to go. You have been fed, you're, you've eaten, you're full even, and you just have more willpower, more strength in general when you go shopping. So that's the biggest thing is if you don't buy it, if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. Like I love Chef AJ is one of the, one of my favorite people to follow. And she always says that if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. And so you just need to be able to go to the grocery store with a plan. Um, and I don't even, I'm not a food planner. Like I am terrible at food planning, but I do have, um, I, when I first started, I took the list of, okay, plant-based essentials. Like what is it that I need to have in my pantry at all time in order to make most plant-based meals. And it's pretty cool because plant-based meals, it's really easy. You, you know, if you get frozen veggies, canned beans, like you've got a meal, you know, like a sauce, whatever, like it's super easy to make. Uh, and so I always have usually a lot of those ingredients on hand. And then I do allow the 10% wiggle room. So I'm a full believer that whatever diet you choose, it needs to be sustainable. And you shouldn't feel like you are like struggling every day to resist. <laughs> like you don't want to live like that the rest of your life. You should not be eating, you know, something or eating in a way today that you don't see yourself continuing to live when you're 90, you know, whatever you choose right now needs to be sustainable and something that you could do when you're 90 or else it's not going to last. You're not going to either keep the weight off or stay that healthy. And so what systems uh, do you put into place? You know, it's like the atomic habits book. Like what is it that, what systems do you have in place? And one of my systems is 
that I, I just don't buy it at the grocery store for the most part. Um, I, I will buy, you know, if I'm going to eat 90% plant-based, then 90% of the things in my grocery cart need to be plant-based with the exception of maybe some dark chocolate or, or something um, else. Right. However, my exception most of the time is when I go to a social event, when I go to a party, uh, when I go to a family dinner, like I just want to enjoy food because a lot of times, you know, food has a lot of meaning behind it and a lot of that meaning is love. And so if a family member, you know, makes me dinner at their house, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to appreciate it. And so that's how I kind of structure our 90-10 I just control what's in my home uh, for the most part, and I don't bring it in. And then when I'm out and about with friends, I just enjoy and really take it in and and love the food that I've been given. I love that so much. I think that's something that is very sustainable and that makes it feel like it's never, it's not this like never again and it's forever gone or whatever. I think (laughs) well with that, we just don't seem to do well with that as human beings. One thing also that reminded me is that there is this book by Dr. Benjamin Hardy called Personality Isn't Permanent. And then he also has Be Your Future Self Now. And I really feel like what you're saying is so in alignment with that, which is basically live for your your future self. Live for what your future self will thank you for, for the decisions you're making right now. And I just think that is so, so true, right? Like we've got to live for the future self and not just see ourselves right here, right now for the instantaneous pleasure that we may get from some kind of food. We have to see ourselves for the future. How will this affect my longevity and my capacity to interact in the future? Right. What do people who live the longest on the earth eat? Like who, what are, what are the, (laughs) how did I find that research? So there's a really good book called the blue zones by um, Dan Buettner. And it's fascinating. So basically what he did is he, he took the entire world and, and tried to find the people who live to a hundred or more and to find those groups of people who are, have the most centurions. And when he found different zones or areas in the world, he circled them on, on his map with a blue pin, which is why he calls it the blue zones. <laughs> and so he found these areas and then he went to study them. So he went to live with them and study them to find out what do they do? What's the secret to longevity? And he found a couple of patterns amongst all of them. All of them consume a plant-based diet, all of them. Now they also consume about a 95% plant-based diet. So most of the areas do eat a little bit of meat. They eat meat sparingly, which like it broke my heart. Cause I really wish that like Utah was circled as one of those because we have that information. Right. And I really wish that, you know, that we all could follow that because it's amazing. But one of the areas is actually in Loma Linda, um, California. And because the seventh day Adventists are similar to members of the church, Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and that they don't drink alcohol. They don't drink coffee but they eat meat sparingly. Um, Most of them are vegans or vegetarians. Um, And so, and they all have strong social networks, just like our church too. But it's amazing that they are a group of people that live to be a hundred or longer. And that because they're following this way of eating, um, they, you know, they all have strong social networks. So I do want to, to draw on that, that that's also important. It's not just what you eat, but your relationships. They also all move and it's not an exercise type of move, but they garden, they walk, they're active, uh, you know, and they have less stress. They take naps when they need to like there's, so there's all those other things that come into play, um, in these blue zones as well, but all of them eat beans. And that's why, you know, instead of meat, most of their protein source is beans. So that's also one thing they all have in common and just eating more plants and, you know, being social and just having a better outlook on life in general. But I I think it's interesting. And I wish that Utah one day maybe can be one of those blue zones. (laughs) Wouldn't that be so great if we focused on the the do's, right? Instead of right. <laughs> so awesome. I think that's very common that the don'ts are, we know what we're not supposed to do instead of what we are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think I, I asked you this question because it just came to my mind because I'd recently listened to somebody who said, oh, we're in a state of famine right now in mm-hmm. regards to that because our food is so depleted nutritionally that mm-hmm. it's not state of famine. 
how do we, and so he justified it as eating more meat because we're in a state of famine. And I'm just curious your thoughts on that perspective. So we, we, you know, we're calorie rich, nutrient poor, just in general, because of our choice of foods, calorie rich, nutrient poor. And also the soil has been depleted and we could go into farming techniques and all of these things. Um, and so therefore the foods that we're eating now, like a tomato today is not the same tomato as it was a hundred years ago. You're right. There's not as much nutrition. However, if you were to compare plants, you know, in their current form with less nutrition to the most nutritious meat, which is liver, it still has 11 times more antioxidants. Plants have significantly more antioxidants. And again, if you're looking at the long-term view, right? So we want to be looking at foods like what is it that's going to not only give us the calories and the, you know, micronutrients that we need, but also what are the, the phytonutrients, you know, that we're getting and what are these other compounds that are going to help prevent chronic disease? And simply put, all of us Americans, 97% of us are over consuming protein. 97%. Most of us do not need to be eating as much proteins we're eating. Our body does not need it. And it's like if you're building a house and you think that having more of these important building blocks like protein is like more, more bricks, but then you're just dropping off more and more bricks every day as you're trying to build this house. Well, now you also have to be trying to get rid of the extra bricks. And so that's our body right now. It's like we have way more bricks, more protein than we need. And so half the time our body is just spending time trying to get rid of it, trying to store it, trying to put it in different areas where only 5% of Americans are eating enough fiber. And I always go back to this because people are like, well, why don't I just take vitamins and, and meat? <laughs> and it's because we need fiber. Our microbiome, those gut microbes, thrive off of fiber. And when we consume fiber, they pay us back. They produce what's called short chain fatty acids, butyrate, acetate, propionate. And these short chain fatty acids will go throughout our entire body and reduce our risk of cancer, reduce our risk of heart disease, reduce our risk of Alzheimer's and all of these other chronic diseases. We need fiber to live long and fiber only comes from plants. And 5% of us are eating enough plants. We need to like just shift, stop talking about protein, <laughs> you know, like treat protein as a side dish because that's all we need, you know, and plants, plants have protein. And that's the other thing too, is that a lot of us just assume that protein only comes from meat. And in reality, I get enough, plenty of protein. You can, yeah, I've had my blood checked and I get plenty of protein just from beans and from other plant sources. We don't need to consume meat on a regular basis and we will get everything that are, that we nutritionally need. How do you supplement when you're on a plant-based diet? Right. That's a great question. So if you're not eating a lot of meat, um, you are missing what's called B12. B12 is formed naturally in the soil. And also it's formed in the stomachs of ruminant animals. So like a cow, for example, but if you were to eat chicken, B12 supplements are given to chicken. So it has a little B12 just because supplements were given to the chicken themselves, and then you're eating it. And they also supplement even uh, all of the animals with B12. And so then that's also passed on to us. Because we live in a world where we filter our water, we clean our fruits and vegetables really well before we eat them, I'm not going to be getting B12 from the soil like I would have 200 years ago. And so I need to supplement with B12 if I'm not eating meat in general. Um, and that is really important too because it uh, you don't want to have any deficiencies in B12 in the long run. But also most of us, in fact, if you were to take the average vegan, right? And then the average omnivore, the average vegan actually has more of those micronutrients overall. Yes, they're deficient in B12, but the average omnivore is lacking in a lot of other ones. And one of those are, you know, just D D3. Most of us are not getting enough vitamin D. Omega-3s, most of us aren't getting enough omega-3s just because we're living in a society that there's a lot more fats that are omega-6s and, uh, and we need more omega-3s. And so in general, I really, I take a supplement that has B12, omega-3, D3, and so I can make sure I'm getting what I need. It also has K2. There's some arguments that that may be something you might need on plant-based diet. Nowadays, it's really easy. You can just Google plant-based supplement and it has kind of those that you need. 
But in general, all of us should be trying to supplement in in the things that we're missing, like omega-3 and D3, that we're just, we live in a society, we're indoors most of the time, we're not getting enough vitamin D. And so that's something that we all could be improving on. But supplements do not take the place of whole foods because foods work synergistically in our body. And so, yes, we can kind of prevent deficiencies with them, but they don't prevent our risk of cancer or heart disease or diabetes just because we are supplementing, that's not going to kind of take the place of whole foods. We need both. I love that. And what spiritual parallels have you drawn in your journey to eating whole foods? Well, there's a lot. So as, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, I am also a Pilates instructor and I, I used to love telling people, cause I, I really do love Pilates. I feel like if you strengthen your core then everything else falls into place. If you have a strong core, you can run better, you can swim better, you can do everything else, right? And similar to that, it's like the gospel. If you have a strong foundation and and belief in Jesus Christ, then everything else falls in place. But I also found that parallel with eating plant-based. If you were to study all of the different diets out there, all of them, everyone agrees for like 99% of them agree that eating more vegetables is a really good thing to do, that we all should be consuming more vegetables. Like that's one thing we all have in common. Instead of looking at what all these diets are different and how they're different, let's look at what do they all have in common? And they all have that foundational belief that if you eat more vegetables, you'll be healthier. And so it's the same thing again with the gospel or even with Pilates that it's like, that's the foundation. And just like with the gospel, if, if, our belief is that, uh, you know, we believe in, in, in our savior. And if we spend time with him every day and, and put him first in our life, then again, we'll have a better day. And it's the same thing with our health. If we believe that vegetables are the foundation, and if we try to eat vegetables before every snack and before every meal, it's amazing what it can do for you. In fact, scientifically, if you were to eat vegetables before every snack and every meal, it's also going to blunt your blood sugar spikes. So a lot of us think, you know, I should be eating more meat to blunt the blood sugar spikes, but vegetables will do the same thing. And it can keep your blood sugar levels a lot more stable, which will help again in the long run, because you don't want to decrease these big up and downs so that we can decrease the oxidized stress in our body, oxidative stress. And so it's amazing what just putting vegetables first, like making them a priority. Let's form our meals around the vegetable and not the meat, right? Because that is where we need to shift our priority. We can still have meat. It can still be a side dish. But if we are putting our health first, uh, we should be putting those vegetables first. And how do people plan or make those kind of shifts where they're planning around the vegetable instead of the meat. I think <laughs> uh, do you see I mean how have you made yes. those shifts so that yes. it's more practical for your day-to-day life? Right. Again, it goes back to beans. <laughs> beans are awesome because again, they are a vegetable and a legume. But I simply put I I will make the exact same recipe that calls for meat and I will use beans instead. So last night I made um, cauliflower tacos with, they had black beans, right? And I followed a recipe for honey garlic chicken tacos. I followed that exact same recipe, but I just swapped out instead of chicken, I put in cauliflower and I added some beans to it and they were amazing. Cause if you, if you flavor beans, like you flavor meat, or if you flavor vegetables, like you flavor meat, they're going to taste amazing. (laughs) Just like meat usually does. Right. And so it's important to really give it that flavor. And I, again, I used to make like a cashew chicken recipe all the time that my kids love. And I just use chickpeas instead of chicken or a lot of times I'll use lentils instead of ground beef. In fact, lentils are so amazing that um, they're, they call it the lentil effect, that if you were to consume lentils, that it can help manage your blood sugar levels for up to 24 hours afterwards. And lentils are really great for those who struggle with beans, because a lot of people are going to hear this and think, I can't handle beans, like my body can't do it. And I would like to challenge that and say, I bet you could handle five beans. I bet your gut could handle five beans. And just like if you were to go to the gym after not working out in a long time. And if you're going to go work out really, really hard, your body's going to be crazy sore the next day. And that's the same thing with your gut microbiome. If you were to just listen to this podcast and you're like, okay, we're going to go eat beans and I'm just going to swap it out hundred percent. You're going to struggle. You're probably going to have gas and bloating because you need to train your microbiome. You need to build up the, the gut bacteria that, that are used to, you know, 
breaking down those beans and vegetables. And so I always suggest going low and slow, start by just adding in one more, you know, meatless Mondays. Start by adding one plant-based meal a week. Just start there one a week. That's it. And then over time, maybe start your breakfast because breakfasts are really easy to swap to more plant-based. So maybe an oatmeal breakfast with an almond milk or, or something else instead of what you're eating before and then go to lunches. And so instead of those lunch meat, again, lunch meats are also classified as a group one carcinogen. And so we want to avoid those if you're looking at the long-term health. So instead of like lunch meats, let's do hummus and vegetables on a sandwich, you know, or let's just kind of shift, like, what can you do to make lunches plant-based and, and then then you can start looking at more dinners. So then maybe twice a week for dinners or, you know, or even get to the point where you're eating plant-based until the weekends. And then the weekends you don't like it just slowly, slowly ease into it. And that's why those people who join my program, it's a six month program for that reason, because I want them to just take baby steps. And it's not like a pendulum where you swing from one side to the other. It's like, I'm plant-based today. <laughs> you know, even though yesterday I totally wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that you, it needs to be like going up an escalator, going upstairs one step at a time. So that gives time for your gut to adjust. It makes it sustainable that you're making a slow change and you're finding these recipes without being completely overwhelmed. Um, but the easiest thing is just cook something you've already been cooking and think, okay, maybe even just instead of in my ground beef for tacos, I just add half beans, half ground beef you know, just start adding in the vegetables, just how, and look at your dinner and think, okay, if vegetables are where I should be focusing, then how can I add another vegetable here? What can I add instead of what can I take away? And then naturally everything else will just get crowded out. I love it. Okay. So let's talk flatulence because I know you mentioned, you talked about how beans, you have to get a, like your body has to get used to breaking down beans do you understand the science of that? Like what, what is it that's so difficult for your body to adjust to when it's breaking down beans? Right. So it goes back to the gut microbiome. So in the past, and you, you've probably heard a lot of people talk about the gut recently. Um, and it's because we just are finding out more and more. If you were to go back 20 years, we knew as much as the, about the gut as if someone with the naked eye was looking up at the stars, right? That's about how much we knew. <laughs> now we have the technology, just like we now have telescopes and can look up in the sky and see so many stars, right? And see that there's galaxies out there. And it's the same thing. We now have the technology to really look deep into the gut microbiome and, and understand how that plays a role into our health. And so we all have different gut microbes. Some are inflammatory, some are anti-inflammatory, and some help us to prevent chronic disease and some promote chronic disease. And it all depends on what we're eating. So they found that more meat and dairy, they will produce these inflammatory compounds like TMAO, like I talked about earlier. And then the other microbes who love to eat vegetables, they produce short chain fatty acids that are going to, you know, help strengthen your gut lining that will help increase your, your health and decrease your risk of chronic disease. And so if you have not been feeding these gut microbes, beans, for example, and different ones like different type of plants. So there's some that love broccoli. There's some that love potatoes. There's some that love, you know, all these different things. And they found that those who have the best, like the, the most amazing gut microbiome, that they consume a variety of plants. In fact, the largest study ever done on the gut has been, is called the American Gut Project. And they measured that whether or not you ate a ton of meat or not, that they found that those who consume a variety of 30 different plants weekly. So, you know, again, regardless if you eat meat or not. But if you're eating at least 30 different plants within a week, and again, plants are not just fruits and vegetables. They're also whole grains, nuts, seeds, and legumes. Those are all plants. And if you're getting a variety of 30 every week, then you can have a stronger and healthier microbiome. So you need to feed it. And that's where I tell people, again, if, like I was talking to a friend, she's like, I can't handle broccoli. I'm like, yeah, but I bet you could handle one little head of broccoli. And so you train your gut and you just, okay, so today you eat one little tiny tree of broccoli and then tomorrow you're going to eat two little trees of broccoli. And then the next day, maybe three or four, you need to build up that army in your gut. And, and then over time, you still may find your limit. Like I found that there still are foods that I may be more sensitive to. It's also helpful to understand what are the foods that can cause gas and bloating. And I don't suggest people go on a FODMAP diet, but to understand FODMAPs is really helpful. So for example, I can eat a big pot of beans 
just fine. No gas. But if you were to add like onions and garlic to those beans, I may experience a little bit of gas because onions and garlic are also a higher FODMAP food. So if you're putting all of these foods together on one plate, they can, they're all known to cause gas and bloating, then that can be difficult. But we don't want to avoid them completely because again, these foods are what are going to increase longevity. So cruciferous vegetables, for example, are the best cancer fighting foods that you could be consuming. But they also can cause gas and bloating when consumed in excess. So again, we don't want to overdo it. It's just uh, sometimes even just a nibble is enough. <laughs> you know, just nibble on on some of these foods, get a little bit into your body, try not to overdo it, build up the microbes in your gut so that you have a stronger gut and can be able to consume these foods more freely without the side effect. And that's interesting because I have tried many things. And it's interesting. I think the most prevalent and most gas producing I've noticed are like onion and garlic. And I use those for like the base of almost all my cooking. Right. And right. so it's just interesting because I do feel like my body's gotten better at it over yes. time. I just feel like it's taken a bit of time, maybe longer than I would want it to take. <laughs> <laughs> right. And sometimes taking it out for a little bit, like I, I have found it was pretty amazing sometimes when I took out, it's like, I know if I'm going to be eating a high FODMAP food, like another food that is known to cause gas and bloating, then I'll take out the garlic from the recipe and just that recipe, not always, but you know, I try to keep the FODMAP rating to like a medium instead of, and to avoid like a really high meal that's like has all the things that are known to cause gas. And that's why I feel like when, just when I started my company, I thought this was really important to teach people just these principles so that they can easily transition because knowing what FODMAPs are, you don't know that when you think I'm eating more plants and then it's a disaster. Or, you know, I heard of a, a woman that she had, she had cancer and she was told to follow a plant-based diet and that would help her decrease her risk. But she's like, I, I my gut could not handle it. And that's where I'm like, come to me. <laughs> like, I, I know how to help you ease into it so that we can train your gut. It just takes time and you have to go slow and you can't do that pendulum swing. And the question for me is if you are doing a plant-based diet, do you need to be taking a probiotic or a prebiotic in that situation? I would say go to foods first. If for whatever reason you feel like your probiotic has been helpful, that's great. But in general, a lot of people could just be eating more plants because again, you're consuming microbes in a probiotic. And even a prebiotic is going to feed your microbes. Well, it turns out you could just be eating more fiber <laughs> and that's going to be your prebiotic, right? To, to give those gut microbes the food that they need. And then the probiotic is, you know, eating more fermented foods, like trying to consume foods that have those microbes on them naturally, instead of going to a pill, that would be kind of your first line of defense is what I would suggest, like turn to food first. And then if you feel like it can be beneficial, great, but continue to eat these foods first. I feel like it's sometimes difficult to incorporate veggies into your breakfast. How have you done that? What have you done to successfully bring in vegetables into the breakfast meal? So I'm a big oatmeal eater. Like I love oatmeal. So I do in one or two ways. You can sneak in cauliflower, like rice cauliflower into your oatmeal. You would never taste it. It's a slightly different texture, but I would just do a little like half and half or even a fourth or just a little bit of cauliflower in there when I'm cooking my oatmeal. And if you have like vanilla or any type of flavoring with your oatmeal, you won't really taste it. And then secondly, I also will do, because I'm not a big smoothie person, that's just me personally, but I'll do like a smoothie oatmeal bowl. So I'll mix up literally just spinach and almond milk and then pour that over my oatmeal, you know, with a little bit of honey with some other flavors so that again, it masks that flavor. So I can't really tell. So that's just an easy way. You can, it's fun to get creative. You know, I have other friends that they just shred uh, carrots and put shredded carrots in there because carrots are naturally sweet and taste amazing. Um, and then I have other friends that have just swapped over and just eat a savory breakfast. And so they have like a potato hash with peppers and onions and potatoes and turmeric, you know, because turmeric is also another spice that's amazing to help prevent cancer and lower inflammation. There's a lot of different ways if you like a savory breakfast versus a sweet breakfast. Is a blue zone, is there a blue zone in India or not? Uh, I know there's a lot of vegetarians in India. No, there is not. That's not one of them, but there are a lot of vegetarians. They have found that most of the blue zones are actually closer to, they do eat a little bit of cheese, but they're more vegan, right? Areas as well. The, the cool thing about 
India or just in general, I have a friend there that's like, you could eat a different vegetarian meal every day for an entire year, a a different meal with different flavors because they have such variety. And so for us to think like, oh, my food would be boring if I stopped eating meat. I'm like, I think it's pretty boring to be eating chicken three times a week. (laughs) Like that's boring in my mind when there's so many other spices and flavors that we could be utilizing that we're just not. So can you tell us a little bit about some spices that have completely transformed your cooking that you're you're like, these spices should be in everybody's kitchen. Right. (laughs) Having a better flavorful meal. First of all, cinnamon and cloves. Cinnamon and cloves I put in my breakfast every meal and now every morning. And I feel like if I don't have it, it just is missing so much. Cinnamon, as we know, is amazing. You could add a little bit of cinnamon to just cut up apples. It tastes like you're eating apple pie. You add cinnamon to, again, those sweet potatoes. Cloves have the highest antioxidants out of all foods. So they are one that we should be trying to incorporate often. Fall is coming up right now. And so it's a great opportunity to like, if you're making any type of pumpkin, anything, put in some cloves, put in some nutmeg, (laughs) put in all those things. Cinnamon will help stabilize your blood sugar levels. And again, nutmeg is also going to help improve your skin. And so just anything sweet, put in the cinnamon and cloves. Then there's cumin. So anytime I'm cooking actually beans, I add them to like my pot of beans. I add it to like a chili and tacos. So anytime I'm cooking any of those, that's where I use cumin. Cumin is really beneficial for those with digestive issues. So if you have IBS or are struggling with that, it's also really helpful to prevent cancer in the long run. So we want to use more cumin. Rosemary and thyme. Anytime I'm making potatoes or gravy, potatoes of any kind, I always put on rosemary and thyme. You know, they kind of go together. Thyme is so helpful if you have like nasal congestion or a sore throat. And rosemary, even just smelling rosemary can help boost your mental focus. <laughs> it's incredibly beneficial for your brain to be able to stay focused throughout the day. And so I put on, again, rosemary and thyme on all things potatoes and gravy. Then oregano. So oregano is where is my go-to for pastas. So any type of pasta I'm making, I will also put oregano in my beans. Again, I, I in my beans I do cumin and oregano. But oregano has all of those antioxidants. It's an antiviral and can help you prevent you from getting just sick with the common cold and the flu. And then after that, there's like peppermint. So every time before I go to bed, I try to use like a peppermint tea before I go to bed because it's a muscle relaxant uh, and it will help ease bloating and gas. So if you are experiencing that, then just drink some peppermint tea or put in a little bit of mint into your water uh, for the same reasons. And then turmeric is like the super spice, kind of similar to cloves in the sense that there's a lot of benefits from it. It's yellow, very yellow, because it has a polyphenol called curcumin. And curcumin is very helpful to prevent cancer, to lower your cholesterol, to reduce your risk of Alzheimer's disease. And and turmeric is interesting because you also want to pair it with pepper. And so you put a little bit of pepper and that will help your body absorb all of that curcumin and utilize it. So you want to pair turmeric with pepper. And sometimes I'll even put turmeric in my oatmeal. You know, I'm like, it's just a little bit, you don't taste it. (laughs) But in general, I tell people just stick with one spice at a time, become familiar with the flavor of that spice and then move on to something else. Because in the past, I have made the mistake of like, put all the spices on all at once and then it tastes terrible. And so just stick with one spice at a time, become familiar with how that space changes the flavor of your meal. And then you can kind of think of how you can use it in different ways. It's a skill. It's and the mark of a good cook is someone who uses spices. So I always suggest these spices have the most antioxidants. We all should be using more of that. How can we do that? Okay. I just feel like that changed my life. So I did. <laughs> Thank you so much for that information. Wow. I'm very excited. That is, it is just very exciting for me. I'm a big Indian person and those are just turmeric cumin big in those as Mm -hmm. well so that's really fun well and you could go on and on there's so many I just mentioned a couple but you could go on and on and on like always add a spice if you can don't add too many but and that's what I think it's like I'll make a lunch I'm like what one spice can I add to this just one like what one spice would make this taste a little better like dill you know dill to your salad just one little like and it could up the nutrition, but also up the taste. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. All right. So do you have, you, you mentioned that you're not really a food planner. Mm-hmm. 
and a meal prepper per se, but do you have a system and how have you figured that out for yourself to make it work, I guess, for your family? It's funny. I actually, again, I do sell meal plans. I just don't always follow them personally, which is funny. And and luckily I have a team members who are really good at meal planning. I am not, but in general, so my system is like Sunday dinner. I'm usually either going to one of those go-to good meals, like roast. Again, I used to make roast all the time, but now I do it with mushrooms instead, or just add more potatoes. Or sometimes on a Sunday, I'll even use like the fake meats. That's the only time I use them just because my kids love them and it's a Sunday. And so it's kind of fun to do something different. But throughout the week, I just think, what meal can I make in 10 minutes? And a lot of times I just open my fridge and I look and I see what fruit or vegetable is about to go bad unless I use it today. (laughs) (laughs) And then I Google on my phone recipes for this fruit or vegetable. And then I like get creative and try to do something really fast. Like I'm terrible. <laughs> That's just how what works for me. That's my personality. And it's fun because then I'll discover a new recipe. Sometimes I flop, but you know what? Before we went plant-based, I flopped too. My kids were picky then too. Like it doesn't hasn't really changed the amount of times I'm successful versus not successful. It's the exact same. Like sometimes I make amazing meals and sometimes I don't. And sometimes my kids will eat it and sometimes they won't. Like that's just how it's always been. It's how it pr- pretty much always will be. And so in general, then I have like my go-tos that I know I can make really fast. I try to plan ahead if I think about it and like soak beans overnight. But just so you know, if you're not sensitive to beans, you don't have to soak them. You can just cook them in your Instapot and you'll be okay. But if you are sensitive, I just like to because it cuts down my cooking time on the beans in general. So I'll soak them overnight. Then I rinse the water and then I cook them and then rinse the water and then add in my flavors. But I just swap out any of the recipes I used to make again, where I was using meat and I'll add a vegetable to it, like an extra vegetable. And then I'll also use beans instead of the meat. And then sometimes I'll even put all the meal on our tables and I'm like, you know what? We're missing a fruit. Let's add in a fruit. What do I have? Again, that's about to go bad. What can I chop up really quick? And so sometimes it feels like it takes about the same amount of time because I'm saving time, not cooking meat. I'm not marinating meat. I'm not, you know, like dealing with meat. And I'm sometimes just opening a can of beans and it's so much faster, but I'm also chopping a lot more. And so it's helpful to have, like, I I have a food chopper that makes my life a lot easier where I can just slam it down and and dice peppers really quick or onions. Uh, And so having those accessories are very helpful. And I do feel like I'm cleaning a little bit more pans in general because I'm adding another fruit or I'm adding something else. And so there's, it's about equal. Like I save time in some ways, but then there's more time in other ways, but I'm saving more money this way because meat and cheese are expensive and to not be eating meat and cheese and to be cutting down, like I'm not buying fishies anymore for my kids. Like I'm cutting down on processed foods. So overall we actually save money eating this way. That's amazing. Okay. So you talked about using the, the faux meats and I know that there's all this controversy around those kind of meats. And anyway, what are your thoughts on right. kind of those processed, like overly processed meats that aren't real meat? I've studied the research behind them and, and they've taken people and they've had them, for example, eat a hamburger every day for a week versus the faux, the beyond meat <laughs> hamburger every day for a week. And they've taken their blood and they've measured the changes in their blood. And those fake meats really do have a better impact on those health numbers, on your cholesterol levels, on all of those things. So inside your body, it is showing that at least like the, not the really processed ones, but more of like the beyond burger type of meats, that they do have an edge as far as health wise, but they can't even compare to beans. They can't even compare to vegetables. We're just not having as big of a negative impact, whereas vegetables are going to actually reverse, <laughs> reverse your chronic disease, reverse, you know, your diabetes, reverse your risk of cancer. So I would always choose whole foods first. However, if I'm at a barbecue and I'm offered one of two choices, I'm going to choose the beyond meat because they taste awesome. Like I think they taste really delicious. And I know that if I, you know, inside my body to, to measure my blood levels afterwards, that it's going to be a better choice. And so I, I avoid them. I don't buy them very often. I do have some beyond Meat in my fridge, just if I am in a pinch and I, you know, absolutely need it. But in general, I cook 90% of my meals without it. I actually treat Beyond Meat or any of those fake meats like a 10%. I treat it like I make cookies. Like, you know, cookies are great. (laughs) They make life better sometimes and they add a treat, you know, to our life. And so it's nice to have on hand, but in general, I don't do it every day. 
And what about black bean burgers? If I were given the choice between a black bean burger, Beyond Burger, or a regular burger, I would choose a black bean burger. Yes. And it's because you know how healthy beans are for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and then also, I was curious about your thoughts around soy. Like the debate on soy is, is like the, the phytoestrogens that are found in it, but it's not the same as actual estrogen. So if I was given the choice between soy milk and regular milk, regular milk has true estrogen in it because it's given to us by a cow who is pregnant. Most of the time, if you're just conventional milk is usually from a currently pregnant cow who has a ton of estrogen in them. And then if you're eating cheese, you're actually compounding that amount of estrogen. And so in fact, a lot of people who struggle to get pregnant, I say first thing, like cut out cheese, really cut out cheese because so that you can regulate your hormones. And then you need to be eating more fiber so that in general, the excess hormones can be taken out in your stool because that's how you need to be eating a lot more fiber so that they're not sitting there in your gut. I actually suggest people to like children three years and younger to be consuming soy milk instead of regular milk because soy has more protein and has more nutrients that a baby would need three and younger, like one to three. Cause again, you want to be not consuming any type of plant milk until you're at least one, but In general, there's a lot of hype around it, but the research shows that soy can actually reduce your risk of cancer, reduce your risk of symptoms with menopause. It can actually calm those symptoms of menopause. And it's a very processed food. So some individuals, like you you can't compare like edamame to soy protein isolate. Like it's a totally different food. And so I say, yes, soy in its least processed form, like soy milk, edamame, and even tofu, like you're fine. But it's when you get more to those really processed meats that it's more of a risk. But it's soy is found in a lot of processed foods in general. If you were to look at your chocolate, it most likely has soy lecithin in it as an emulsifier. And so that soy, again, is totally different from the soy in its more whole food form. So we want to avoid processed foods in general, and that includes soy processed foods. I mean, if you look at Japan, for example, they consume the most soy out of any other country. And it's like, do you see that? Do they have man boobs? No. Are they experiencing all these side effects that no, like, in fact, they have less rates of cancer. They have less rates of disease, like they are thriving. And so it's not something that we should be fearing as again, as long as it's in that less processed form. Excellent. And then you mentioned on your article from the LDS Living article, you tell us about why Jacob of old and his struggle with the angel is similar to your journey in helping others fight chronic illness and find nutritional enlightenment. Can you share more about that? On my mission, I really loved learning about Jacob. And I think it's fascinating that, you know, what he did to get the blessing that he wanted. And in reality, this blessing, like, yes, it blessed him, but it's it was that through his posterity that others would be blessed. And I think it's fascinating that he fought for it, that he literally fought with an angel and, you know, like really wanted so badly to have this blessing to be able to bless others. Right. (laughs) Ever since I started learning about the benefits of whole plant foods and the risks of consuming high protein diets, I wanted to shout it from the rooftop. You know, I just wanted to shout the word of wisdom. It's like, guys, it is here. It says eat meat sparingly. We ignore this, you know, it says eat more of these plants, of these herbs of the earth, and we're ignoring this. And I just wanted to shout it from the rooftop and I just prayed. (laughs) And honestly, part of it too is that my dad, you know, passed away and I would do anything to save my dad if I could. And I can't save him, but I would love to save you know, someone else's dad, someone else's mom, so that they could, you know, not have the type of heartache that I've experienced because of just choices in food, frankly. And so I was at the temple one day, just praying and praying, like, I want this blessing. I want to be able to teach the word of wisdom. I want this blessing so bad. And the answer came just like Jacob and the hip that are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to do things that are hard? And being interviewed on the news is scary. (laughs) Putting yourself out there, talking about these things is hard. There's a lot of people have a lot of opinions about nutrition. And it's like, you have to be willing to basically be shot with those arrows, you know, like, and have your 
you know, like your why really strong to be able to continue forward. And so my answer was, yeah, you know, you will be blessed this blessing just like Jacob, but it's not going to be easy. Just like Jacob was uncomfortable with that hip issue and you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and continue forward through the discomfort. And I think that's like that with any blessing that we want in our life. Like how bad do we want it? Are we willing to be uncomfortable? Are we willing to grow in ways that we don't want to grow, (laughs) you know, and truly that it's always to bless other people's lives, that it's always, you know, we're given a lot of times difficulties in our life. And I think, you know, like the word passion really comes out of like the passion of Christ and his struggle that he went through. Yet we think of passion as something that we love. And it's interesting that a lot of the times what we love (laughs) was usually because we've struggled in some way. And so my passion really is to help others. My passion is to prevent chronic disease, to help those who had just been diagnosed with cancer and don't know what to do, who have fatty liver disease and don't know how to eat, who have all these heart health issues, or just someone who is really concerned about their future health and want to look past seeing, you know, the short-term view and to look more towards longevity in the way they eat. Or even someone else who's read the word of wisdom and thought, why, why do we just ignore this passage, eat meat sparingly, (laughs) you know, and has always wondered about that and just want to be healthier overall. And so I, I, I told God I'm willing to be uncomfortable and do whatever it takes so that people like that can find me and that I can bless them with his truth, which I believe is found in the word of wisdom. So beautiful. Alicia, I'm so impressed. I am so excited that you have this passion that came from a pain point, right? That came from something that was very difficult. And I'm so glad that we're being blessed by this passion that has come through that situation. That is such a beautiful reframe. I have never, ever thought of it that way. So that is so cool. <laughs> and is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? Ooh, good questions. Um, I just think going back to just start small, but, you know, take one step at a time. Don't feel overwhelmed and pray and ask God for help. I think One of my favorite messages is someone reached out to me and said, you know, I am not a member of your church, but I believe in the word of wisdom. And she said, I used to experience such painful periods and I prayed to God to ask for guidance and I was led to you. And you've talked about the word of wisdom. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to follow it. And she has. And she's like, I never knew that I could have a period that wasn't painful anymore because I've just been eating meat sparingly and eating more whole plant foods. And so I think regardless of whoever it is, that anyone, and no, you know, no matter what they believe, that anyone can benefit from, you know, from following the word of wisdom, from avoiding alcohol, from avoiding, you know, all of the don'ts, but also adding in all of the do's. Amazing. And how do we reach you? How do people get a hold of you? So I have a website. Um, so I, my company is called Plant Wise, W-H-Y-S, because I'd like to teach the why behind eating more plants, as you heard. And so I always am trying to teach you because I think it's fun when you understand the benefits of certain plants, you want to eat them more. And so it's Plant Wise. I'm on Instagram at Plant Wise. And my website is www.plantwise.com. And I offer a really short mini course for those who just want the information and want to be able to, you know, take the info and go from there and and change on your own. But I also work with people who need help, who want their handheld. And then we have a larger program where we work with them for six months. So no matter who you are, you can definitely check it out. And of course, I always offer free advice on my, on my Instagram account. 